Coming up, the Bucks Celtics series has been an all-out battle as the defending champs can advance with a win tomorrow. Why the NBA needs a seventh game in the worst way. It's do or die for the Tampa Bay Lightning as the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions are on the brink of being extinct in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And will Sidney Crosby's injury keep him out of tomorrow night's potential series-clinching win against the Rangers? Another no-hitter in baseball. It's NFL schedule release day, but all the talk is Tom Brady getting how much to analyze football games? When he retires, of course. Hop on board as I'll take you through the sports universe. It is all on deck. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, of course. Glad you stopped by here in this midweek podcast to get your fix on everything that's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me, whether going way back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Lots to get into here. Of course, today, the NFL fan rejoices yet again as the schedule will be released later on tonight. There have been a couple of leaks throughout the course of the week, and we've seen some leaks here, whether it was the London series or what's happening there on Christmas night in Green Bay. We'll get into all of that later on, as well as this doubleheader in week two, which I can't stand. So you know I'll touch on that. Everything that's happening in baseball, everything that's happening in the NHL, as tonight you may have a two-time defending champ be ousted here in the first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs and why that's even a bigger game for the Maple Leafs than it is for the Lightning. So I'll touch on that. But I have to start off with the NBA playoffs and in particular last night, everyone who's listened to me going way back, whether from the beginning or even if you've listened over the last couple of years, everybody knows I'm a big Celtic fan and what I witnessed there in the final seconds, not even the final minute, but the final seconds of that game, I have been unable to sleep. This is a game and probably a series that the Celtics, when you really think about it, could have won in five games. They could have won game three. Granted, it was 103-101, but you had a 100-99 to lead with less than a minute to go. 
And we all know how big the Celtic defense is. And if they could have gotten a stop, and I get it that Giannis had the layup. And then after that, Holiday had the little floater to where they took the lead. 103-100, and we know what happened there in the final seconds. Marcus Smart missing the free throw, a million putbacks. Didn't go in until after the buzzer, Al Horford, etc. So even if there would have came with a victory there, we know what happened on Monday night. Just a thrilling ball game. Another knockdown, drag out, heavyweight fight between not only just the, of course, Bucks who were looking to take a 3-1 series lead, but the Celtics, the Horford, and... Giannis dynamic to where Giannis dunked in the face of Al Horford, gave him that stare down, got a technical, and then later on, Horford's payback with that dunk and a performance unlike any other that he has performed in the postseason, 30 points, 6 for 6 in the fourth quarter as the Celtics prevail and come back home to a Game 5 last night, raucous TD Bank Garden, just... Everything in the favor of the Celtics heading into that fourth quarter where they had the momentum. Big third quarter by Jalen Brown scoring 16 points. 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. The Bucks chip away. A little Pat Connaughton here. Yes, we know about Giannis. And then we get down to the final couple of minutes at 103-99 where Jalen Brown misses the jumper and Al Horford who had those wonderful games. Three and four Milwaukee. Performances that you would have never even imagined, especially when you look at guys who aren't expected to do big things on the road. And that's one of the things in the postseason that we see a lot, especially on home courts, are role players. And that's not to say Horford's a role player, but if I asked you before games three and four that Horford's going to put up 22 and 16 and then 30 in the following game, whether the Celtics won or lost, and as we all know, they split. I would have told you that, what is it that you're smoking? Because there's no way that Horford's going to put up those type of numbers. Is he capable of doing that? Of course. But to think in back-to-back games, absolutely not. So for him to take a few steps back in last night's game, you could understand that. Even if the game was in their building. But now, we get to Horford's putback. It's 105-99, 210 to go. Then Giannis hits the three, which was enormous. Because if the Celtics were to get a miss there with the rebound and they take it up the court, chances are they win the game. But of course, basketball doesn't work that way. Be that as it may, Giannis does hit the three, 105-102. So then now the Celtics get a miss on their end and Drew Holiday hits the three to tie the game. So now we have to worry about whether or not Jason Tatum, who did not shoot well in the game, although he did have 34 points, Jalen Brown wasn't able to duplicate, and of course you can't look at his 16-point third quarter and think he's going to come anywhere close to that in the fourth quarter. The Buck defense is going to gear on him. They're going to try to stop or slow down their top two players on their team. But then Tatum gets the ball, he gets fouled, he makes both free throws. And then in the final 11 seconds of the game where Giannis gets fouled, 107-105, he makes the first And then this is where the game goes completely off the rails. And in particular for Marcus Smart. Giannis misses the free throw. There's a mad flurry at the end to where Marcus Smart came in. Looked like he was going to grab the rebound. And with everything happening so fast, he was unable to secure the ball. It bounces a couple of times. Gets into the arms and hands of Bobby Portis. He hits it high off the glass. Rattles a little bit. In through the hoop. 108-107. Celtics call a timeout, and now it comes down to this. 
Inbounds pass goes into Marcus Smart. Marcus has a lane to go to the basket for a layup. What happens? Drew Holiday from behind swats it, gets the ball. Bucks have it, foul, free throws. The Bucks make their two free throws. Celtics in a last-ditch effort with Marcus Smart bringing the ball up the court. What happens? He loses control of the ball. Drew Holiday swoops in, steals the ball. Game over. Celtics lose 110-107. And now they have to go to Milwaukee in an elimination game to stave off what will be just a brutal way to end their season, a brutal way to end the series. And what more could you say about this game, about their performance, that is just going to leave you not only wanting more, but it's going to leave you asking all these questions, whether it was the big lead in the fourth quarter, whether it was not being able to get that stop, even after Giannis makes that three. And I get it that they're going to back off him. They will let him shoot that shot all day long, but this was one time he actually made it. And to me, that was the biggest shot of the game. Because if Giannis misses that shot, the Celtics are going to win. They'll milk the clock. Maybe they get a foul. Maybe they even get a basket. They go up by eight. Or even if they get fouled and they make one of two free throws, it's a three-possession game. And I get it that you can't look at basketball and that scope. Oh, well, Jay Reels, he made the three. But yes, there could have been a possibility that he misses, and it is Giannis. And for all of his greatness and for all of his ability and his wonderful athletic talent, shooting the basketball from 17 feet and beyond is not his strength. We know what his strengths are. So I would back off him, especially from the three-point line. If you can make it, congratulations, and he did. And to me, like I said, the biggest shot of the game, and of course the biggest play of the game was the Portis rebound putback, which gave the Bucks the lead and obviously won the game. And now as a Celtic fan, we're sitting here wondering how Game 6 is going to unfold. Can they win a Game 6 in Milwaukee? Absolutely. They could have won both games in Milwaukee, as I detailed just a few minutes ago. And I understand that when you have a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, and I don't understand people are going to say, oh, here goes Jay Reels, going to sound like a Celtic apologist, but a lot of these double-digit games, even go back to the Memphis-Minnesota uh, series, now, Minnesota gave up two 26-point leads, and that's inexcusable. And I understand they're a young team, etc. But anytime, even if you have a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, look at the Bucks in Game 4. They went into the fourth quarter up 80-67. to And how did that turn out? Double-digit leads in the fourth quarter, unless it's maybe under five minutes, then I'll say there's no way, shape, or form that the Celtics should have lost this game. But when you have a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, it's not an automatic it's not a guarantee. We know the NBA is a game of runs. And as we saw there last night, they chipped away. Celtics weren't able to make some shots. And when you have those 7-2, to 9-2 runs that it's going to get a team back in the game to where it was, what, 99-95, what I believe. No, it was 101-95, now that I think about it, after the Tatum shot with less than five minutes to go. So they had a six-point lead there. And they kept chipping and chipping and chipping to the point that, like I said, even after Horford, the putback, the dunk with 2.10 to go, the building erupts and you're thinking, oh, this could have been the exclamation point. Granted, it's two minutes and granted that's still plenty of basketball to be played, but then the honest shot changed the whole dynamic of that game because then it was a miss and like I said, Drew Holiday and the rest is history. How the Celtics are going to come out in Game 6, I don't know. 
of course they're going to come out, all systems go. But I would think Milwaukee, right now, the tune in that locker room has to be, we are not getting on a plane to go back to Boston for Game 7. And if that isn't motivation enough, then I don't know what is. They're going to need monster efforts from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and this is going to be a, not going to say a legacy game for each of these guys because they still have their careers ahead of them, but this is going to be one that may be remembered for a long time on how they play in this game. Now, if they both put together, let's say, a Game 2 effort where Jalen Brown had 30 and Jason Tatum had 29, and granted the Celtics won Game 2, but let's say if they put up those type of numbers in a Game 6 and lose, unfortunately, you have to live with it. But at least you could say Jason Tatum didn't have that Game 3 where he shot, what was it, 4 for 19 or whatever it was, 4 for 20? And the Celtics go meekly into the night and into the summer? That's one thing that is going to stick with you if either one of those guys do not stand and deliver in an elimination game. The Al Horfords of the world, the Grant Williamses, guys like that, whatever they're going to contribute, obviously it's going to be a bonus. And hopefully Horford has one more game. I'm not expecting 22-16, but maybe he could put in 16-18 to with 11 boards and make a few big shots somewhere along the line. And as for the Bucs, I mean, what could you say? This is a team that is Giannis and Drew Holiday and pretty much nobody else. Bobby Portis, for some of the plays that he made yesterday, including the putback, he did not do well in the game. This isn't a guy that's going to pour in as a third member anywhere between 18 to 22 points a game. And it just shows you how much they miss Chris Middleton. And not only just for his scoring, but also his defense. And I don't know if the Bucks are going to make it out alive as far as winning another championship without having Middleton on the floor. Because you see their offense, warts and all, and granted, Holiday's played very well in this series. Giannis is Giannis. And yes, they've gotten minor contributions here and there from other players. But this isn't a team that's going to scare you if you're a defensive coach, knowing that you're going to have to... Giannis, we all know, he's a beast to begin with. But it's not as if they have all these other options that's going to keep you up in the middle of the night thinking like, oh, geez, how am I going to stop this guy? Oh, wait a minute, this guy's going to come off the bench. Yeah, we understand Conte can make some shots and Brooke Lopez, who was nowhere to be found, but obviously he played well in game four in a loss. And we get it that there's going to be ebbs and flows. There's going to be games where people are going to, or players are going to be able to score and do the things that you thought you'd expect them to do. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they're going to, come back and say, oh, wow, where did this? Where was this performance in Game 5? Or where was this performance earlier in the series? And you know that them going back into that building, and as I said earlier, the role players from the Bucks, I'm sure they're going to salivate and rise to the occasion to know that they do not want to go back to Boston to play in a Game 7. And that's one of the things that I fear as a Celtic fan, knowing that the Bucks, just like they did last year, in the finals against Phoenix when they came all the way back from an 0-2 deficit and they pulled out that win in Phoenix, uh uh-uh. They knew that they needed to win that game in order for them to be a world champion. And I think they're going to pump the same message starting from the plane ride home last night throughout today and into tomorrow that we win the series right here. So, we shall see. And Marcus Smart, I don't want to just pick on him or get on him, but that final 
11.4 seconds, whatever it was, I'm sure he couldn't sleep. If I couldn't sleep last night, I know he was tossing and turning. Because those were the ugliest final 11 seconds that any player could ever go through. And he's going to have to redeem himself in a big way come tomorrow night. So that's what we have there. And I'm also going to segue that to this. Well, let me recap the NBA stuff real quick. The other series, there's not much to discuss. Two game sixes tonight between Philadelphia and Miami as Philly will try to go back to Miami and even the series. And the same will go for Dallas against Phoenix. The game's there on Tuesday night. When the Heat win by 35 and the Suns win by 30, what is there to dissect? And Chris Paul did not have a big game on top of that. But the role players, the DeAndre Aytons of the world, the Mikael Bridges, and not to say that they're role players, but those are guys that have not been able to put that same effort on the road than they have at home. They rose to the occasion. Devin Booker's Devin Booker. And the Suns went going away. And pretty much the same for the Heat in their game against the Sixers. Now, will any of those two teams push us to a seventh game? I think Dallas has a better shot doing so than Philly. Unless Philly's going to get the James Harden that they saw in Game 4. If James Harden's going to perform the way he has pretty much throughout the whole postseason, Sands, Game 4 against the Heat, then the Sixers are going home. I think Dallas may have one last hurrah in them to push it to a Game 7, and then I think they'll get whacked whenever that game will be, I guess, Saturday night. And as far as Memphis and Golden State, if you want to call that a statement game last night, considering... The way the game ended on Monday night in San Francisco, the Warriors did not shoot well in the game, and even though the Grizzlies were in the game and playing well, but they obviously weren't able to make shots down the stretch, but then of course, just like a championship medal team does, they'll find a way to win a game, and they did so there on Monday night to where they pushed the series to a fifth game in Memphis, and then now the rallying cry for the grindhouse and everybody in the Memphis area is Grizz and Seven. And last night was a game where, as I like to say and have been saying, they just ran them out of the gym last night and the Warriors had no shot. And good for the Grizzlies. But now, after the bad taste and the stink of that game and the embarrassment of how the Warriors performed, you know they're going to be firing on all cylinders come tomorrow night when they play that game six. And John Moran's status is right now up in the air. We don't know. I think he'd be a lift if he comes back, even if he only gives you X amount of minutes, but it's a knee. It's one he reaggravated. We talked about that on Monday with the whole Jordan Poole play. But I see the Warriors just pretty much doing the same in what Memphis did to the Warriors last night. I could see this being a runaway type game. Pretty much what you saw there in game three. And now it leads to this. The NBA playoffs to date have been so-so. And that's saying it nicely. It has not been a good postseason. Yes, they've had their moments in the opening round, whether it was New Orleans and Phoenix, whether it was Dallas and Utah, whether it was to a certain extent, I'll give you even Sixers and Raptors only because Toronto was going back to their building in a game six at home where they were down 0-3 and they really would have pushed the Sixers and their pressure points to the 
finite, or I should say the infinite levels because of Doc Rivers' playoff coaching history and that franchise and everything surrounding the Sixers. But Game 7 where they, who knows what would have happened if that would have been the case. But you haven't had gripping series. And the gripping series that we've seen so far to date is this Bucks celtic series. Even if you get Suns, Mavericks, as well as all right, I'll even throw in Grizzlies. You never know. Maybe they'll pull off an upset. And Warriors as well as the Sixers Heat. If those series go seven games, would it be good for the league? Yes, because anytime you have a seventh game in any sport, but in particular the NBA in this postseason, it's going to be a bonus. But as we've seen with those three series, do you really expect the road team to come out victorious? Whereas the Celtics, they need to come out with a victory here on Friday night because that Game 7, a lot of people will watch because they know that that has been just a bloodbath. And it's been tooth and nail. It's been down to the wire. It's been competitive. And I know no Chris Middleton. I get that, which is a big factor because who knows? Maybe the series would be different if he was in a lineup. But without the Celtics and Bucks getting to a Game 7, and let's say Milwaukee ends it in six. And all the other series, again, going six. They're only going to pray for a long Golden State Phoenix is what we expect to be in the Western Conference Final. And if it's Milwaukee-Miami, they're only going to hope to expect the same there. And the NBA postseason to date, like I said, has not been great. It's not even been good. It's been so-so. It's had its moments. But nothing to really get you pumped up and think like, wow, this series has been... I want to say Memphis, Minnesota, but Minnesota was just awful and they were sloppy and they just did not play well. Yes, the games were good and they were competitive. They blew double-digit leads in the fourth quarter, as I mentioned earlier, but still, it wasn't compelling edge-of-your-seat basketball as you've seen here in this Bucs Celtic series. And it's not to say every series has to be like that, but you get my point. And that's why the NBA needs, in the worst way for that series to go seven in particular, because the other series, if they do go seven, I don't think there's going to be any drama, any intrigue, because you would just expect the Suns the Heat, and quite possibly, even if it goes seven games and the game is in Memphis's building, who knows? So that's what we got there with the NBA. One other note I want to say here, sad news, former big man, going back to the 70s and early 80s, Bob Lanier, died at the age of 73 due to a short-term illness. Illness was unknown. But when you think about big men in the history of the league, He is underrated. And I understand he's not going to be up there the likes of Wilt, Kareem, Russell, Moses Malone, Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing. I get that. But if you ask the guys who played yesteryear, and especially during that time frame, whether your name was Kareem, Bill Walton, Willis Reed, Wes Unseld, he was a guy that was 20 and 10 a night. He had that lefty shot, big body, a typical, or I should say prototypical NBA center and was a guy who was an eight-time All-Star and just sad to hear the news. Former number one overall pick dating back to 1970. He was went to St. Bonaventure. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Lanier family. Another loss there for one of the great centers and underrated centers in the history of the league. All right, now let's uh, pivot and go to the ice and see what's happening with the NHL. And tonight you have a game from both sides that I'm sure the hockey world's going to watch. 
You have the two-time defending Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning in their building tonight, down three games to two to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we shall see if the Lightning have one last strike in them to push this series to a seventh game up in Toronto. Or will the heroics by Austin Matthews, who had that great game one and then was invisible in the middle portion of the series and toward the end of game five, but he did get the go-ahead goal and the game winner in Toronto as they pushed this series to where they could wrap it up and put the Lightning into the offseason and not to be heard from, at least for this year, after winning back-to-back Cups. And I said this many moons ago, check the receipts, I didn't think the Lightning were going to go back to a Cup final, let alone win it, based on just the last two years and the grueling efforts that it took, whether it was September 2020 winning a Cup, July 2021, and then having to do it all over again. I just thought that they were going to run out of gas, and who knows, could it happen tonight? They're the champs. I could see them winning tonight. I could also see Toronto winning too, but I just have that gut feeling that Tampa's going to win. They're going to push this to a seventh game. And here's the reason why that this game is intriguing. One, for Tampa's side, obviously to keep the series alive and to keep their chances of advancing. And who knows if they could go on a deep run back to a cup final. That's number one. But number two, and more importantly, when you think about the Maple Leaf fan, that city, organization, etc. It's another game seven for them to get over the hump. And we know about this franchise's history, especially in recent playoff vintage, how they have been unable to win Game 7s. Whether it was the Game 7 in Boston, going back almost a decade ago, when it had a 4-1 lead with about 11 minutes to go in the third period and end up losing. Obviously, last year, when they had a 3-1 series lead against the Canadians, and they lost the Game 7 in their building. And if they lose tonight in Tampa, they're going to have another Game 7 in their building. And everything that's going to be hovering over that city, that fan base, etc. It's going to be must watch if you're a sports fan. And obviously if you're a hockey fan, if Toronto does not prevail tonight. And again, in my gut, I could something tells me that Tampa's going to win. For me, if you're Toronto, no fooling around. I would be in that locker room saying, guys, I understand if we lose tonight, The game is in our building. But with the history of this organization and everything that's transpired and everything that we've been through over the last year, forget about the history because they weren't around in 2013 and some of the other playoff just devastating losses that they've experienced. But they could change that narrative tonight, knowing that we don't have to go back, knowing that our fan base is going to have to hold their collective breaths come Saturday night on whether or not we're going to advance here in an opening round. We could squash that with a win against the defending two-time cup champions this evening. So that right there is going to be a must-watch to see how that's going to unfold. And let's see if they rise to the occasion. But I'll go back to the series last night, and then I'll recap the others. Last night you had Calgary with three goals in the third period. They were down one nothing. So they beat the Stars, so now they go to Dallas, up three games to two, so they have a little wiggle room, but I'm sure they don't want to play around either, knowing that they had to fight tooth and nail just to not go down 3-1 in this series. They were able to bounce back there in a game four, obviously winning game five, so I'm sure Calgary has their sea legs and they'll look to close out the Stars come tomorrow night. 
We know the Rangers had to also stave off elimination coming into this game last night, down 3-1, losing the two games in Pittsburgh badly. And they got down 0-2, early, and I thought going into the game last night that the Rangers had to play from ahead. Because Shesterkin, as we all know, not all his fault, but a young goalie, he had given up quite a few goals, was pulled in both games in Pittsburgh, and you didn't know how he was going to respond. He gave up the two goals, one to Jake Gensel, has seven goals in the series and has been just otherworldly. But they were able to come back with three straight goals, one of them including the number one pick that I picked on the other day in the podcast, Alexis Lafreniere. He had a goal there in game four as well as a game, a goal in the game last night. And then the Rangers had a 3-2 lead and then Gensel, just seconds after the Rangers took the lead, Gensel then gets the game-tying goal in the second period, and then the Rangers were able to get the two goals in the third. Philip Hedl gets his first ever playoff goal, and the Rangers survive, and now will have to deal with going to Pittsburgh to try to win a game six to bring it back home, and it's quite possible that the Penguins may do it without Sidney Crosby as he left the game in the second period. Now, I didn't see the injury. I didn't watch it. Of course, I was immersed in the Celtic game. So who knows what his status is going to be for tomorrow night. And Sid the Kid, who's not a kid anymore, but I'm sure from a psychological standpoint, him not being in the lineup tomorrow night, even though the game is in their building, that could be tricky. And the Penguins, who have played well here, and they've played far beyond what I've ever expected because I thought the Rangers were going to win the series, I believe I said in five, because of the Rangers and how they played against them in the regular season. And I know the regular season doesn't matter. you got to put those games aside. Understood. But I just thought... Younger legs, fresher legs, not necessarily just happy to be here. They have a hard-nosed coach. And the Penguins, with all their first-round exits over the years, which I've chronicled in podcasts past here over the last couple of weeks, I just thought that they weren't going to get out of this round against the Rangers. And here they are now, one game away. But let's see if they wrap it up in their home ice tomorrow night with or without Sidney Crosby. And, of course, the NHL and these teams, they hold these injuries as if it's Fort Knox. So who knows if it's an upper body injury, lower body injury, who knows. But that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. The Panthers bounced back big time. They were down 3 nothing early and you thought to yourself, oh geez, these guys are the biggest phonies known to man. 120 points, regular season, President's Trophy, winning season. And now they're down 3 nothing to the Capitals. They actually were down 4, or could have been down 4-1, but they had a goal disallowed due to an offsides. But then they came storming back. They scored three goals to answer the three goals that the Capitals scored in the first period and a half. And then in the third period, Carter Verghehe was the hero in game four when the Panthers were down late to where they had to get a late third period goal to tie the game. And then Verghehe got the overtime goal, I believe four minutes and change into the first overtime. And then Verghehe gets the game winner in the third period as the Panthers prevail and now have some breathing room and can exhale a little bit as they go back to Washington to see if they can wrap up their series against the Caps. And then as far as the Avalanche, they swept the Predators away. So that's why you didn't see that fourth game last night as Colorado has their feet up waiting for their next opponent in the conference semifinals. And as for the other three series, which will continue tonight, Carolina, home cooking, served the Hurricanes well behind the goaltending of Antti Ranta. They also got two goals by Seth Jarvis, and they pretty much did away with the Bruins like they've done in the first two games of the series. So now you got to wonder whether the Bruins will have one last 
go-around as they did in the two games at home to even up the series. Could they push this to a seventh game? Yeah, I could see that. But the Hurricanes, as big of a season that they had, and if you're supposed to be that upper echelon team, not only just in the division as they won a division this year, but also in the conference and in the league, you got to close this team out. And we understand it's hockey, anything could happen, and sport, understood. But for the big year that you had, and I'm not to say that the Bruins didn't have a big year, because they certainly did. They had well over 100 points, and deserved to be in the discussion on whether or not they could push it to a seventh game. But if you're the Hurricanes, just like I mentioned with Tampa, close them out tonight. Why risk a Game 7, even if it's in your backyard? Just do what you can to close them out, whether it's a pretty game, ugly, doesn't matter, win the game, and that's it. So we'll see if Carolina has it in them to thwart the Bruins from pushing that series to a seventh game. As for the Blues and Wild, Kirill Kaprizov, who's had a big-time postseason, similar to Jake Guntel, seven goals, had two goals there in the game on Tuesday night. But the big hero was Vladimir Tarasenko, who had a natural hat-trick in the third period when the game was tied. And now the Blues have a chance to wrap up their series at home, I think the Wild could win. I picked the Wild in seven. It's been a flip-flop, topsy-turvy type series. I could see that happening tonight to where Minnesota will be able to win in St. Louis and then push it to a game seven at home. And then lastly, what can you say about the Kings? They had two goals by Leon Dreisaitl in the third period, down 4-2. They pushed the game into overtime. And then Adrian Kempe walks around the defense and then puts the puck past Mike Smith who played that terribly. The Kings go on to win 5-4. They take a 3-2 series lead as the game is in their building for Game 6 as they could close out the Oilers tonight. And if that is the case, whether it's tonight or even Saturday night, the Oilers, who knows if there needs to be some house cleaning. I know that I followed the trajectory of Connor McDavid and that team over the last few years when you have that generational player, and granted, he's in Edmonton. I understand he's not in a big market. I get it that he doesn't play for a big-time team. But when you have a guy as big as he is in the sport, and knowing that they have not been able to advance past the first round, and especially in a year where they had the Kings, and a lot of people thought that the Kings had no shot at winning the series, and now they have an opportunity to close out the, the Oilers tonight, something has to be done there in Edmonton in order to get this team together. And even though they brought in Duncan Keith, a veteran presence who's won cups on this team, and right now they're flailing. And just a awful job by the defense on that final play, which led to the game-winning goal. And now you got to wonder if Edmonton has anything left in the tank to push this team or push this series to a Game 7. Can I see that happening? Of course. They won a big-time game in LA, Game 3, where they won 8-2. So I can see it happening. And this is why Game 7s, especially in a sport like hockey, and I get it, it's for the rabid, hardcore fan base or even just the casual hockey fan. For the casual sports fan, they're not going to care. I understand that. But you have an opportunity here if when you think about it. And I know this is going to be mind-boggling. But you only have one series that's concluded. Nashville, Colorado. There's a potential for six Game 7s in the NHL. Does that mean you're going to have six Game 7s? No. But even if you get three, 
So just cut that in half. And I would think that the likelihood of getting three game sevens is a lot better than having one or two game sevens. You may have four game sevens for all we know. Because that's how competitive it is. We know Tampa could win at home against Toronto. We know that the Bruins could win at home against Carolina. We've seen it. We know that the Wild could win on the road in St. Louis. Just like I talked about with Edmonton. They've won on the road in L.A. Rangers, not so much. They have not won in Pittsburgh, so who knows? And Dallas, they have a game in their building to stave off elimination. We can see it happening. Whereas in the NBA, we have not seen it. And that's the difference with these sports, and that's why the NHL has been fascinating to watch here in this opening round. And let's see if we could get three game sevens or even more for that matter. And obviously we'll touch base on this on Monday because these series will end over the weekend and will lead us into the second round when we reconnect come Monday afternoon. And one last thing before I move on. A couple of days ago, the news came down that the Islanders GM Lou Lamorello were letting go of their coach Barry Trotz. How he discussed that the team needed a new voice. He did not get into specifics about why he was fired or why that they let go of Barry Trotz, but that this decision was not primarily made on this season. And the first thing I thought about when I read that quote was not primarily made on the season. Okay, so was it made on last season? Was it made on the season before when they went to back-to-back conference finals? Was it made on next season? Was there a difference of opinion or philosophies during the exit interviews where they probably thought that Trotz was thinking one way and the organization was thinking another? Or Trotz was probably saying, hey, I need some offensive talent here. Or, hey, I need ABC XYZ to where Lamarillo said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not going to operate this way. We're not going to have the coach try to undermine me or whatever it was. And who knows if that's the case? This is just speculation. Because for him to say that it was not primarily made on this season, then what was it based on? This was the first season that they didn't make it to the postseason. And we just talked about how in his first year, yeah, he made it and swept the Penguins in the first round, then they got swept in the second round of Carolina, and then the back-to-back semifinal appearances before the Cup. So what is he basing this on? Now, it had to be down the road. It couldn't have been based on what had taken place throughout his tenure. Obviously, this season was a major disappointment. And I'm sure you could attribute it to many things. COVID, the 13-game road trip to start off the year. Whatever it is. But now, you have to wonder where they're going to go for a coach. They have Lane Lambert, who was an assistant on the staff, where a lot of people think that may, he may be the guy that's going to be anointed as the coach. And Lamorello did say that whomever the next coach is going to be, that he'll be able to pick his own assistants, which I find that shocking. Because to give any coach, unless he's Scotty Bowman, but we know he's not going to walk through that door. But to give, whether a first-time coach or a young coach, that type of power for him to pick his assistants could be a little tricky. And especially when it comes to philosophy, things of that nature. Who knows? But I don't know where they're going to go for a coach. This is a team that is close. They still need some offensive pieces. 
they don't have that bonafide goal scorer, that sniper that you could say, that's the guy that I know in a playoff series I got to watch out for. Islanders don't have guys like that. Yes, they have good goal scorers, but they don't have a great goal scorer. Or a great offensive defenseman, which I believe is one of the things that the front office is going to look at here this coming offseason. Because they need a guy that's going to quarterback the power play and be that guy, dare I even say, not that he's rumored or whatever, but a Victor Hedman-like. And there aren't many guys like that in the league, and they certainly don't grow on trees. To be able to be that guy that's not only going to be a leader, but is also going to be a guy that's going to rush the puck. I'll say a Dennis Potvin like. Because I don't want people to think that, oh, wait, Victor Hedman, is he on the block? Is can the Islanders get him? No, 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 no. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying a player like that. So for Trotz to leave, I was shocked. I'm sure a lot of the Islander fans were. And now let's see how they pick up the pieces here in getting their next coach. And what that search is going to be like. And who that guy's going to be. Again, I have no clue. And I don't even have a guy that I could think of that could come in here and say, yep, I think he's going to do good things here and take us to that next level, to that promised land that Trotz was unable to get to, especially over the last two years. All right, a couple other things before I bid adieu. I'll go to baseball, where there's not much to really talk about. And what I'm going to do here moving forward, guys, unless there's something drastic that happens, I will go through divisions and recap. Not to say the week that was, but obviously when we have a weekend of games, especially with the podcast being Thursday and you have today, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, so you have those four days leading into the week, I'll go through the divisions and kind of keep you up to date on what's happening there, where on Thursday, it's just pretty much any news and notes, maybe some things in the standings depending on certain series that take place throughout the course of the week. But the baseball, right now, the one thing that sticks out is the Yankees, 22-8, and eight, best record in the sport. And it's weird because this team has had its moments offensively, but they have not really hit that well. And when you look at a guy like Gleyber Torres in particular, now he's been hot as of late. He hit the home run there on Sunday to beat the Texas Rangers in the first game of that doubleheader. He hit the three-run homer there yesterday, and he's starting to turn around, but his average is low and his power numbers have been down, although it looks like maybe he's getting out of his early season slumber. But with the 22-8 and record and the Yankees, they got off the deck rather slowly. They had that 11-game winning streak there over the course of the last couple of weeks, and now they bounce back nicely to the tune of winning two out of three against Texas. No big deal there. They swept Toronto in a back-to-back series, just a two-gamer to where Aaron Judge had his first walk-off there on Tuesday night. He hit that three-run homer in the ninth inning, dramatic. And the Yankees were able to prevail and get out of that game, which I know was a little bit crazy with the hit batsman after Stanton hit the home run and then Donaldson gets hit. Yimmy Garcia gets tossed as well as the manager, the pitching coach. That was just a crazy scene there. And there shouldn't have been a warning that the Blue Jays thought, even though that was up and in on Donaldson. But the Yankees playing well, and they go to Chicago this weekend to play the White Sox. So that's going to be an interesting series where Garrett Cole will pitch against Dallas Keuchel in the opener. So the White Sox, who have played a lot better recently and have turned their fortunes around in recent memory, let's see how they fare against the Yankees as they come into town through the Windy City over the weekend. You had another no-hitter in baseball as the Angels read Detmers 
No hits the Tampa Bay Rays the other night, 12-0. We understand that it's the second one, but the first one by a starting pitcher where the Mets, if you remember a couple weeks ago, with all their pitchers in the game, I believe it was five pitchers who no hit the Phillies. And the Angels, as we know, they played very well here at the start of the season. And to have a guy like Reed Detmers, let's see what he'll be able to do. We know about the Angels. It's all about their pitching. And you can say that for just about any other team. But as far as them having any success this year, we know it's going to fall on their pitching staff, whether it's Otani and his outings every week. Obviously, Syndergaard, who doesn't have the same velocity that he once had. He doesn't have the strikeout numbers, I should say. They're not up the way they were during his days as a Met, especially his early days. And then obviously whatever you're going to get from Detmers here is going to be a plus if the Angels are expected to do big things out in Anaheim. Also, Justin Verlander had, speaking of no-hitters, had a no-hitter going to the eighth inning the other night against the Minnesota Twins where it was broken up by Gio Urshela and he's already pitched three no-hitters. So he was bidding for number four and he had a couple of other opportunities where one game, I believe it was against the Pirates, where he had a perfect game in the ninth inning. I believe Josh Harrison got a base hit. This was going back, oof, off the top of my head, maybe 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. So Verlander, he's aging like fine wine. He's pitched very well this year. I believe he's 4-1 with a 1-7 ERA, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. So Verlander has not skipped the beat after his Tommy John surgery. And the Astros, of course, have played a lot better here since the first month of the season. You had some COVID issues between the Indians and White Sox to where they had their game postponed because the manager of the Guardians, if I said Indians, my apologies, the Guardians manager Terry Francona tested positive. So therefore they postponed the game and it's good because their division foes, Guardians, White Sox, so they can make up the game along the line. It's not as if we had a team going in there their only shot visiting the White Sox this year to where they have to come back. And even though it's in the middle of the country, so it's a good thing. So even if it was a West Coast team or a team that played in the East, well, it doesn't matter, but they don't have to worry about making up the game because they will play several times throughout the course of the year. So we'll take an eye and keep to see what's going to happen with the Guardians heading into the weekend. In fact, i got to check to see who they play, but who knows if games will be postponed or further games, as this is now the first game postponed due to COVID here for the 2022 baseball season. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. But other than that, as we take a quick look, and let me see, I'll take a peek at the schedule starting tonight. Because I'm sure you're going to have some leftover games from these three-game series, or maybe there is a start of a four-game series. Today, the Mets will wrap up in Washington. Let's see if they can win their series and continue this streak of not losing a series to start off the year. As Taiwan Walker is going to go up against the guy, Joan Adon. I never heard of him. So maybe the Mets will come out victorious after they got lambasted last night. Where Tyler McGill had an awful start. An inning in the third gave up eight runs. But when we take a look here. In fact, the Yankees, I thought they were going to actually play a three-game series. It's a four-game series starting tonight in Chicago. So my apologies. I thought it was tomorrow. You do have... Garrett Cole, he's going to pitch now against Dylan Cease. The early pitching matchup I saw was he and Dallas Keuchel, so obviously that's been revised. So a four-game series, which will be interesting for the White Sox as they host the Yanks. But other than that, let's see. Cleveland will be at Minnesota. 
starting tomorrow so they have a day to recover to see if there's any other positive tests throughout the roster. But other than that, you have a rematch of the 2019 World Series, Houston and Washington. Obviously a far cry from that. Three games at the nation's capital between the Astros and Nationals. And other than that, Toronto and Tampa Bay, maybe you want to look at that. Two division foes going at it. San Francisco, St. Louis. So yeah, that's pretty much what your schedule's looking like. And so as I see Milwaukee, you had Kristen Yelich hit for the cycle again yesterday against the Reds, which I believe was his third in his career. And it ties for first all time, something like that, which I found pretty fascinating because it's true. How many players have hit for the cycle, let alone once, but twice, even three times for that matter. And Yelich did that yesterday and it ties the MLB mark that was set Let's see if I could take a look. Six other players, or he is the sixth player, I should say, who's done it. I would think Ty Cobb is being one of them off the top of my head. Let's see if there's a list here. No, there is not. So anyway, a little bit of a weird stat. Him tying with five other players in the sport for three cycles in a career. And then lastly, the NFL schedule is going to be released tonight. I'm sure it's going to be leaked throughout the course of the day. Definitely check my TikTok account as I'll post certain matchups. I'll get into that once everything's released. But you had a couple of other games of note that were leaked out to the public over the week. And one I do not like is this Monday night doubleheader, the second week of the season. So that will be September 19th to where Tennessee at Buffalo at 715 and then Minnesota at Philadelphia at 830. Why are you going to have two Monday night games overlap one another is beyond me. If you're going to do the doubleheader, do it like they've done in the past. And I'm glad they stopped that this past year. But they had the 7-15, or let's say the 7 o'clock game and the 10-15 game to where you have your matchup at 7 o'clock, whether it's East or even Central time zone. And then your 10-15 could be a West Coast team hosting that game to where you have your doubleheader. And I understand for the people that are in the East, they're not going to be able to stay up till 1.15, 1.30 in the morning to watch the game. So here's the NFL trying to reinvent the wheel to have two games, not just simultaneously, but one overlapping the other, hoping that you get to watch the first half of one game and then the second half of the other. Just, why? Doesn't make any sense. If you're a fan of, let's say, either one of these teams, and it doesn't matter, if you're a fan of your team, whether you're, Tennessee, Buffalo, Minnesota, Philadelphia, you're going to watch your game. So yeah, you may start off if you're a Viking fan like my guys, Headstyle or Kev, where they may watch the first hour of Tennessee, Buffalo, but you know come 8.30, I'm onto the Vikings and Eagles. But I just don't like it. Why even bother? Just have it in separate prime time or separate slots. Don't have it overlap one another. To me, that doesn't make any sense. And then you have Christmas Day, Denver and the Rams, which will be a 4.30 game. I know at the top I said Green Bay. I think Green Bay will probably be your 8.30 game or 8.15, whatever that's going to be. Because Christmas, Green Bay, potential snow, the cold. The setting is just perfect for a Christmas night game. So I would think that Green Bay will probably play on Christmas night. And we'll see the whole Christmas schedule later on, obviously with all the other games. And then speaking of Green Bay, week 10, Dallas will be at Green Bay, which is the return of Mike McCarthy. For those who are interested in that, me, I could care less. I understand he won a Super Bowl there and coached that team for a long time. But yeah, am I going to jump up and down and go crazy to be, oh, week 10, I have to watch Dallas at Green Bay? Uh Uh-uh, I'm not that guy. 
So we will see what the rest of the schedule will look like. That will be released, I believe, 7 o'clock tonight. Primetime, ESPN, NFL Network, all these different channels. So I'm sure people will be tuned to that. And speaking of tuned, Tom Brady and Fox. When I saw that he, whenever he retires, for all we know, that could be in another five years. But if you read the tea leaves, you would think Fox has the Super Bowl this year. Now, obviously, he's going to play this year, so you can forget about it. But if the Buccaneers do not advance to a championship game or a Super Bowl, you know he's going to be thrust, obviously not next to Kevin Burkhart. I don't think they're going to punt Greg Olson away and say, all right, Tom Brady, the floor is yours. I get it that they're paying him 10 years of $375 million, and I'll get to that in a second. But with him being this ambassador for the sport and also for Fox, you know that there's going to be some tie-in if the Buccaneers do not make it deep into the postseason next year to where you know he's going to be behind a microphone somewhere whether interviewing other players or a particular segment. You're going to see that. But now, as far as him being the analyst, the head analyst to go along with Kevin Burkhart whenever he retires, and that's question number one, But if he does happen to retire, let's say he wins the Super Bowl this year or in the next two years, and then afterwards he is now going to be part of the Fox broadcasting crew. Forget about the money. We know that's exorbitant. We know that's extravagant. In fact, when you think about it, he'll make more in that contract if he fulfills those 10 years, and why wouldn't he? He'll make more there than he did throughout his 23-year playing career. Because I believe after this year, he'll make and upwards of $290 million. So it still dwarfs what he'll make at Fox, if you can even imagine that. So that's number one. Number two, how do we know Tom Brady's any good? How do we know that he's going to be primed and ready to be behind a mic? And I know he's a hard worker, and I'm sure he's, who knows, maybe he is out of the shower with a brush in front of a foggy mirror that he wiped down, and he's trying to analyze a play or a touchdown pass or a blitz that was picked up by the running back as we speak. He could be doing that right now. We've seen Peyton Manning. We we know he has that personality. We know he has that flair. And a lot of people thought that he would be perfect or the perfect guy to have that role. But Tom Brady, and I'm not trying to say that he's a mannequin, but Tom Brady being a color analyst is not the first thing that comes to my mind if he was going to be the head guy at Fox with Kevin Burkhart. That's what's called as we see it. And then the other thing is, how do you think Troy Aikman feels after he moved to ESPN with Joe Buck and pretty much more than doubled his salary to the tune of whatever, $18.5 million? And I'm sure he's riding high, he got his payday, deserves every penny of it. And then now Tom Brady's going to make more than twice to what Troy Aikman's going to make, and he has not even seen one minute in a broadcast booth working with somebody on even an exhibition game, let alone a regular season NFL game. I'm sure Troy Aikman was on the phone with his agent and said, hey, can we somehow, some way, scrap this contract and renegotiate? Same for Tony Romo. But for those who've listened to the podcast, you know I'm not a big fan of his, especially behind the mic, but that's a whole other story is Brady going to be that guy is he going to be one that 
you're going to be compelled to listen to his commentary or to listen to his analysis. Right off the jump, I have to say no. That's not to say he's not going to be good or not going to be successful, but we haven't seen him do it. And how do we know he's going to succeed? We've seen this with Joe Montana. We've seen this with Emmett Smith. We've seen this with a bunch of other all-time great players. And it just doesn't translate. And that's okay. Not everybody can be John Madden. But boy, to just back up the Brinks truck, and I understand he's Tom Brady. I get it. But how do we know he's any good? I guess they're hoping to catch lightning in the bottle the same way CBS did with Tony Romo and only hope that he could have that same type of success right off the bat in order for Fox to kind of beat the competitors as far as who's going to get and attract the most eyeballs when it comes to watching the 4 o'clock game, the 425 game, the primetime game, etc. We'll just have to wait and see. That'll do it, my good people. As always, thank you so much for stopping by, taking time out of your day. It is not taken for granted how much I appreciate you supporting the podcast, listening to the podcast, being entertained by it, I hope, as well as informed. And once again, much appreciation for all your support. If you haven't done so, as I always say, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review on whichever podcast platform you listen to. Share it with your friends. Take a screenshot. Share it with people. Share it with me on social media. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. Or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please, questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, whatever it may be. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this podcast, do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, it will go 100% to this endeavor. The production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, equipment, anything and everything to better this experience for you guys and gals because I'm sure you could get your source of sports from other platforms, other personalities, and I understand that. And again, that's why I don't take your participation for granted. But to keep pumping these out twice a week and to hopefully garner some attention from people who aren't familiar with this podcast, is in particular the former athlete, current athlete, broadcaster, studio host, etc., to have them come on as guests. Because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, pretty much since birth. I love to critique, praise, share my analysis, opinions on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.